Good afternoon, Los Angeles and all of Southern California. I'm Farley Malaris, and you're listening to Astrological Metaphysical Radio, the phenomenon of the 80s. On KFOX 93.5 FM, your talk alternative. And once again, hello, happy day. I couldn't make it yesterday because of the traffic, believe it or not. Yeah, somebody didn't want me to come to the station yesterday. So you got the 12 tribes of astrology instead. I am here live in the flesh. Today's topic is called House Vibrations. We're going to take you away from the sign significances today and look at our planets and houses. So please have your astroscopes ready. Now, Casey Casey, a wonderful astrologer from St. Louis, she lives in Los Angeles now, has been kind enough to supply me with the astrology charts for the presidential candidates, Michael Dukakis, George Bush, and Jesse Jackson. And I have their charts in front of me. Now, I want to look over here to Election Day, beyond the conventions already, assuming that Dukakis will run against Bush on November the 8th, 1988, of course. And first of all, we will notice that Pluto and that day is at 12 Scorpio, squaring Michael Dukakis's elevated Saturn at 10 Aquarius, which is not good. When you have a midheaven planet or a career planet in square by a planet like Pluto on that day, also, the Sun in Scorpio will square his Saturn, and Mercury in Scorpio will square his Saturn. Now, first of all, Michael Dukakis is a Gemini rising with a Scorpio Sun, okay? And his moon sign, oh, his moon is in Taurus, okay, in the 12th house. So his midheaven planets are pretty much lit up for stress on that day. Now, he does have Jupiter also in Libra at 11 degrees. Neptune will be squaring that. That's not too good. So his chart is, looks like it's lit up with stress and depression <laughs> on that day of the election. Now, looking over at Uncle George's chart, George Bush, who is running for presidency of the United States, also probably on the Republican ticket, on that day, he has sun in Gemini, Scorpio rising. So both presidential candidates have Scorpio in their chart, which is a little scary. And George Bush has a Libra moon on that day. Now, the election day is happening during a Scorpio moon transit. And I think a lot of this election has a lot to do with whether or not these candidates are chosen during void course moons or not, as far as whether they will be elected or even it'll be a positive situation. Interesting thing on Bush's chart on that day is he has Venus and Pluto conjunct in Cancer in the 11th house, and he's getting a double trine from the Sun-Pluto in Scorpio, trine his goal planets, which is the 11th house is also politics. Another thing that, that we should be aware of here is that Michael Dukakis has some 11th house planets. Oh, no, no, he doesn't. He doesn't have any 11th house planets at all. But his 11th house lord, which would be uh, Pisces, which going down to Neptune in Scorpio, is just being conjuncted by Pluto. And uh, no drastic aspects there except for inconjunct to his Saturn in the nail chart. So Bush's chart actually looks far more successful. I don't care what the polls say. Bush appears to be a shoe-in from the Sun, Moon, and Pluto conjunction in Scorpio, triple trine, actually it's, it's six trines to his Venus-Pluto conjunction in Cancer. So, you know, I hate to, you know, a lot of times you will hear this stuff first on the astrology. The sad thing about George Bush that I really don't like is that he has Venus in Cancer 17 exactly square his Libra Moon at 17, and this does show a severe emotional problem. Now, I myself have some squares on my Moon, but I don't have a Venus square. Uh, when Venus is square the Moon, 
Sometimes we're talking about a hair trigger, kind of shoot from the hip sort of guy. Whereas Michael Dukakis has the Taurus moon, which is exalted in Taurus and emotionally maybe a hundred times more stable. So even though Michael Dukakis would probably make a better president, astrologically speaking, it appears George Bush's chart is lit up for that day, November 8th of 88, at least in my opinion. I'm going to look further at this, and as we get closer to the conventions, I'll also look further. And if you have any questions about their charts, I'll keep them handy for you here. So just a little addendum here in the Astrology Hour. Okay, now pull out your natal charts if you have them. If you don't have them, then no problem. I'll try to explain best I can. This show is a bit advanced. It's for some of our people that have been listening for a while that have earned this show, as far as I'm concerned. And I want you for a moment to forget where all your planets are in their signs. If you're a Virgo sun sign and a Pisces moon, or if you have Jupiter and Sag or Venus and Libra, forget all those zodiac stuff for a minute. So I want you to just totally pull out of your mind anything zodiacal, because today we're going to talk about houses. Now, as you look down at your wheel, because you should have your wheel in front of you, as you're looking down at your wheel, what we're going to do, first of all, to prepare you for today's show, is we're going to number the 12 houses. Because the purpose of today's show is to reveal to you the power in your chart as far as self-realization of character and identity and life's purpose. I feel in advanced astrological terms that knowing what your planets mean in their houses is a lot more significant and more important than knowing the planets in the signs. And once again, the zodiac signs of Aries through Pisces are the signs I'm talking about. So as we go into advanced astrology today, we're going to leave behind the meanings of the signs and embrace the meanings of the houses. Okay, now let's number the houses, okay? Starting on your far left, on the far left edge of the wheel, now you notice there's 12 pieces of pie. Now find the first house, if you just would imagine a clock face for a second, the first house would be that slice of pie that is below the horizon, on the far left side of the chart. That would be where the 9 would be on the clock face, from 9 to 8. Now, that's your first house. Now, the first six houses are in the bottom of the chart. So, going actually counterclockwise, numbering from 1 to 6, you can number your first three houses in the lower left corner of the chart, lower left quarter, that is. You have houses 1, 2, and 3. And so, you can number them now, to Put a 1 in that first slice of pie, a 2 in the second, and a 3 in the third. Now, you should be down where the six would be on the clock face. And then your next three houses, or the rest of the bottom half, would be four, five, and six. So from the far left side, starting where the nine would be on the clock face, putting a number one there all the way to the far right, number six, you should have your bottom six houses numbered. Now, the upper six houses, starting from the far right, where the three would be on the clock face, we go upwards from three to two on clock face. That slice of pie is house number seven. So you can number that 7, 8, 9, and 9 and 10 will be at the top. And then just to the left of where 12 noon would be, which is what the midheaven is, that 12 noon point, 10, 11, and 12. Now you can't really understand this topic unless you know where the 12 houses are. That's why it's important to number them in your charts right now. Now, hopefully, if you've been a good student and you followed the homework I've given, you have filled in your abbreviations on this chart, so you will be able to identify what planets are in what houses. Now, if you haven't done that, you might want to do it as I speak. You want to find where the SU is, just identify that as the sun, and note what house it's in. You want to find where MO is, the moon, circle that, and then find ME, Mercury, and circle that, and then Venus, and circle that, and then VE, and then Mars is MA, and Jupiter's JU, and then Saturn's SA, and Uranus is UR, and then Neptune's NE, Pluto's PL. You might find an NO, that's your north node, you want to circle that. Okay, so you have Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto in the North Node. 
and you should be able to now find what slices of pie those planets in your chart live in. Okay, because as part of today's topic, you must know where your planets are. For example, somebody might call up and say, Farley, I have Venus in the house four, or I have Mars in house nine. See, we're trying to explain the planetary significance today as far as what house it's in and the house vibration. Now, supposedly, if you followed the instructions, you have already numbered your 12 houses and you have located what houses your planets live in or what they sit in at your birth. Now, the important part of today's schooling here in house vibration, like I said, is forget the basic zodiacal meanings of planets and signs because the true energy, the true vibration of your personality, of your character, and of your karma is truly projected by planets and houses and what that means. So specifically, today I'm going to teach you what each of the 12 houses mean, and that way, combining what planets you have in that house, you'll understand a little bit better, more, why you are the way you are. I'll give you an example. I had a lady come into my office yesterday for a reading, Ava, she's probably listening, and uh, <laughs> I don't want to say her real name, but anyway, she has a Gemini rising, and she's got a Capricorn sun and a Capricorn moon in the eighth house, and she doesn't act or feel anything like a Capricorn. That's because what we do is we interpret the planets more in their houses to reveal true planetary significance, and the eighth house vibration is Scorpio. So we're forgetting now that she's a sun in Capricorn and a moon in Capricorn, and now we're identifying that she has sun and moon in the 8th house. So this woman is really more like a Scorpio because she has sun and moon in the 8th house than the Capricorn effect. We always combine everything, right? We do combine the total meaning of sun and moon in Capricorn and the fact that they are your soul and your emotions, and now they're also in the 8th house, which has an intense, mysterious Scorpio overtone to it. So you can really zero in more on the specific vibrations you embrace in your chart by knowing what houses your planets are in. Like, for example, me. My moon, zodiacally, is Scorpio, but it's in my first house. Hence my enthusiasm and gregariousness and impatience, because that first house is the Aries vibration. So truly, my emotions are a lot more Arian, a lot more aggressive and energetic and explosive, at, you know, with a Scorpio combination, of course. But in today's chart, I just want to, I want to nail into your brains the powerful significance of what houses your planets live in. So the first house gives off the Aries vibration, and this is easy, because if you've memorized, if you've done your homework and have memorized the signs in order, because by now you should be able to say it like the ABCs, right? Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sag, Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. And if you can say that in order, then you got the vibration of each house down. Because Aries being the first sign of the zodiac rules the first house vibration, Taurus rules the second house vibration, Gemini the third, Cancer the fourth, Leo the fifth, and Virgo the sixth. So the bottom six houses are ruled by the first six signs, Aries through Virgo. And the top six houses from seven to twelve, house seven is Libra, house eight is Scorpio, house nine has the Sag vibration, house ten the Capricorn vibration, house eleven the Aquarius vibration, and house twelve the Pisces vibration. Now, I don't want you to totally change your chart just because you have a moon in the first house in Virgo, and now, right, this moon is Aries. That's not true. The moon is still a Virgo moon, but in the first house, it has a major Arian overtone to it. So emotionally, which is what the moon represents, you would be a combination of the Virgo vibration, because that's the area of space the moon was in, with a major Aries overtone, because the moon is in your first house, the Aries vibration. So it would be a combination of practical, ethical, analytical, self-serving, and fellow-serving Virgo energy, with the high enthusiastic overtone of Aries. 
which is more like a hard-working, let's-go Virgo force. We're talking about a, not a lazy person here with Virgo moon in the first house. Really, like I've been talking all week, to understand your chart, you must get down what the planets mean in their signs, and also, more important than ever, you must also understand the planets' meaning in their houses. Like, I have Jupiter and Sag, right? But it's in the second house. And even though I have no Earth in my chart, natally, because that Jupiter is in the second house, which is a Taurus vibration house, there is a tremendous earthy vibration there that overtones that Jupiter. So, of course, I have my optimistic, gregarious, philosophical, independent attitude from Jupiter in Sag. But now that it's in Taurus, here's the hardworking ability and the authentic love vibration that is inside of my heart and soul and all those Taurus elements that are now added to it. See, I'm a Leo sun with Mercury and Pluto in Leo, but because Mercury and Pluto are in the uh, 10th house, this is the career fanatic because the 10th house has the Capricorn vibration. So hence my fanatical drive to climb the ladder and be a success and do something with my life and accomplish something is obvious and evident from having the Sun, Mercury, and Pluto in the Capricorn vibration house. So you can find out so much more about yourself. And once again, astrology as a science of self-realization is something that I like to teach to people so they can help figure out their own lives without seeking counseling on their own because they can understand their own charts by looking at this stuff. It's like my parents. Both my parents have Mars in the sixth house. Even though mommy got Mars in Libra and daddy's got Mars in Taurus, they're both a couple of workaholic fanatics because their life force planet Mars lives in the house of Virgo, the vibration, the sixth house. Hence, they're both fanatical health maniacs, right? They go to doctors and dentists all the time. When we were kids, they dragged us off to the doctors and dentists all the time. And, and they're just work, work, work is what their whole life's ethic is all about. Even if it's in the house, it's like hard work, keep things neat, keep things clean, keep things together. And all people that have sixth house planets, they might not have any Virgo in their chart, but when I see those sixth house planets, I go, oh, now I understand why you're such a nitpicker with all that stuff. Same with eighth house. You know, like you don't have to have Scorpio in your chart to have that super passion element in your life if you have eighth house planets. Because planets in the eighth house, once again, have that Scorpio overtone vibration to them, and hence the deep passion and the major need for transformation, all those Scorpio elements. So you can really find out a whole lot of things today by listing on a piece of paper where all your planets are by house, right? Now I've told you that house one is Aries vibe and house two Taurus vibe and house three Gemini vibe and four Cancer vibe and so on in order, right, all the way to 12. That now by listing your planets, you can actually see what vibration from the house is now attached to that planet and understand so much more about why you are the way you are. It's really a lot of fun because you find out that people that talk too much, right, or people that are too much into communications and thinking and running around are loaded with third house planets, which once again have the Gemini overtone to them. Then our sensitive, tender, vulnerable, homebody, security conscious people that sometimes may be into cooking or real estate or romance will have an abundance of fourth house planets. Then people without any Leo in their chart act like Leos when they have fifth house planets, which have the Leonine overtone to it. And that's why these people are always so many times into family and children and creative endeavors and drama and show business and all that fun Leo stuff, partying and such. And like I said, sixth house planets hold the Virgo vibration, the workaholics, the service-oriented folks, and those that are into health consciousness. And then seventh house planets, you might not have any Libra in your chart, but if you have planets in that seventh house, you have a major Libra overtone to your life's work. See? Hence, now you know why you're so fanatically involved in relationships and partnerships and commitment and balance because of that Libra vibration. I'm telling you, 
If you really want to get into astrology, you will embrace the planets in their houses and also embrace the meaning of those house vibrations. It'll blow your mind how much true astrological revelation will finally become totally clear to you. And a lot of times I wait before I do this topic, you know, which I eventually do every three or four months, sort of like as a bonus to let people know where they're coming from and who they are and what they're all about more than ever. Because we got to start with the basics, right? We got to first ta- teach the people about the rising and the moon and the sun and and also uh, basic meanings of planets in their signs. Then we blow their minds with planets and houses with this topic and really reveal validity in astrology for sure. And then the eighth house vibration, of course, like I said, is the Scorpio overtone, hence all the passion and compassion and intensity with a person that has planets there. The ninth house vibration is the Sagittarius vibration. See, people with Sag planets or planets in the ninth house, I have them both. I have Jupiter in Sag plus an elevated Venus conjunct Uranus in the ninth. So hence my jovial, optimistic attitude on life because I'm blessed with all that Sag vibration in my chart which says, I got to be me, I got to be free, I got to be happy, I got to have fun. Here's a guy with a Scorpio moon, could be more depressed than anything, with three Sag factors in my chart that always bails me out, at least up till now it has. So if you're a travel bug or if an independent philosophical type person into sports like I am and you have ninth house planets, now you know why. Then to the left of that midheaven in house 10, that's the Capricorn vibration, the karma vibration, hence now we know why we suffer that much more with the more Capricorn planets we might have. Karma is that much more intense, the need to be more practical and organized, and also the Capricorn overtone, very prevalent with 10th house planets. Moving right along, 11th house planets embrace that Aquarian vibration and that extreme energy that we have, hot and cold energy we can propel. There's a major mental overtone with Aquarius or 11th house planets. And finally, 12th house planets, I have Mars and Neptune in the 12th in Libra, but hence my spiritual injection there with Mars and Neptune in the 12th house, major Piscean overtone, and hence the vulnerability and the spiritual and the sensitive and the self-destructive tendency also prevalent with 12th house planets. So know your planets and signs, but please from this topic, if you really want to get into astrology, know that house vibration, because the house vibration will truly reveal your astrological character, your astrological nature, and also give you some truth and some hope and some understanding to take you into this science a little deeper. I hope you recorded this show. You never know when I'm going to come up with a powerful astrology show like this that will really help you learn about astrology as a science. All right, ready to go to the phones? Let's go to Lola on line two and Aries. Hello, Lola. Hi, Farley. Whatever Lola wants, right? Hello. How are you? Fine, thank you. I'm really enjoying the show. Thank you. I've been trying so many times to call, but then my lunch hour is over, so I have to hang up. What's your question? Marley, I know you hate this sometimes, but could you give me a general reading? Oh, I don't mind giving you a general reading. You have Mars at 20 Gemini, which is very psychological-oriented degree. Do you feel like a psychologist sometimes? A lot of times, yeah. I have a lot of things happening in my life. There's a lot of changes, so, you know, that's why I've been so curious. I've been trying to get to you for about a month now. Yeah, well, you're through your Saturn return. Don't you feel some of the harder days are over? Oh, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. You were also shown making some money here recently. Did you did you have a surge this last year? No, I had a drop. <laughs> Too bad. It's easy for you to spend money. Maybe yeah. you should get a job as a buyer, right? <laughs> I could. I'll tell you. I don't know. You're still shown a lot of money. It's lit up all summer. If you're in your own business or create a new business, it might be the time to do it. Okay. Working for other people, you might end up making money for them. True. Okay? That's happened already. So consider being more independent and using those aspects in your chart to make some money for yourself, okay? Great. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's go to Zenshin on line three. 
December 20th, 47, Virgo rising. Hi. Hi, how are you, Farley? Where's that name come from? Uh, it's a religious name. Oh, good, okay. What uh, religion? Uh, Buddhist. Oh, very good. Okay, thank you. What can we do for you? Well, I got a general question about yesterday's program that I couldn't ask, and then a personal one, if that's okay. Sure. Does the Ascendant act with the force of a planet to form aspects, and especially major conferation, you know, making a say, an angular T-square into a grand cross or a, oh, yeah. a fifth and ninth house trine into a grand trine. Yeah, definitely. The ascendant is very aspectable, and we do find that aspects to the ascendant will explain a great deal concerning feelings of self-worth, self-esteem, childhood factors, environmental factors from the family during childhood, appearance, personal growth, personal evolution, and spiritual growth. So aspects to the Ascendant and First House planets are very powerful in understanding who that person is and where they're coming from. Uh-huh. Okay, does that help? Yeah, it sure does. Okay, and you're the Virgo 23, too. Right, right. And maybe if you have my chart there, I've got the Sun right on the Fourth House cusp at 2738 Sag. So in this uh, topic, that makes you a pretty sensitive guy then, right? Okay, well, yeah, Moon on the 7th and 23 Pisces, Uranus on the Midheaven at 24 Gemini. Okay. Okay, so we're having a transit right now. Saturn and Uranus are going to go back retrograde. Once again, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Fairly it's like you thought that bus already passed once already. Right. And I was wondering what I might expect when that goes stationary retrograde and goes back direct and both those at the same time come over my son. Okay, so year. so it's 4th, 7th, 10th, is that what you said? Right. First, 4th, 7th, okay. ascendant. Did you have some kind of upheaval with your residence, with your relationships in your career last year? With, with my residence, and I felt a good bit of tension, which I was able to well, repress or just uh, use my religious studies to uh, Great. do away with. Are you, is that nam myo renge kyo Oh, no, no, no. no. It's, this is more advanced, no, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm a disciple of a Tendai Buddhist monk. All right, okay. So that's from the Dalai Lama. No, that's Tibetan. He's Tib from Japan. Well, he's not, but he studied in Japan for eight years. That's great. I like when people use their spiritual sides to overcome these transits. Usually when you have a transit like this, the final pass is the most powerful. Uh -huh. So if you were going to go through a change in career, in residence, or have some kind of transition with a relationship that was on hold, any of that stuff, it would be the final punch or the final piston taking power, taking into effect would occur during this transit. So basically, you should be on the lookout for any changes that might crop up concerning any of those 4th, 7th, or 10th house areas. And I think the other part of the grand square would be, what, the 12th house? Well, my ascendant. Your ascendant, right. right. So obviously, you might go through a personality change or an appearance change or some kind of change as far as how you see your own self. Do you know of any way to channel these explosive forces to a house, say, that you would prefer it to occur in? I would prefer that I have to do a lot of repairs and I move three or four times or whatever than to, say, have a career change or to have a change in a relationship. Is there any way that you know of to direct those destructive forces? <laughs> well, it's not really that they're destructive. What a hard transit like a square or an opposition does is it tells us that a karmic chapter in our life is over. Mm -hmm. It requests that we make a new beginning. Sometimes if we don't make a new beginning, there's a temporary pain setback, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, whatever. But that's why sometimes the transits hurt. I think life is all about choices between the spirit and the material. And when we embrace the material or get too obsessed with anything in this dimension, when those transits hit, it's like playing a board game, and it's time to roll the dice and go on to another square. But there's no predicting which one of the four quadrants of the uh, the changes would occur in, then, is there? Could happen in all four. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> such, a, it's, so such, it's such a heavy transit with the Gemini transits going on, too, triggering all that stuff. 
Sun in Gemini, Mercury in Gemini, and Venus retrograde in Gemini now, and all that stuff in Sag, that people with late mutables right now are really getting washed and weared from this transit. Yeah, it's quite a force, I'll tell you. I got to go, guy. Okay, thank you so much. Mark. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to Connie, who is a Gemini with Sag rising. Hi, Connie. Yes, hi. I think your show is wonderful. Thank you. I just moved here, and um, I wasn't able to get it where I was living before, and it's wonderful. Okay, God bless you. Thank you. What can we do for you? I wondered if you could give me a birthday scan. Today's my birthday. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You have a birthday with the moon wobble and five retrograde planets. It's like head for cover, right? I know. I'm looking more to hide. <laughs> How do you feel? Um, I feel fine. Wow. Well, you should get what we call a solar return. And the solar return, we need your sun sign by degree and minute. Okay. I we- have an old chart that my mother did for me. Yeah, I- I'm, just re- I'm suggesting okay. that if you want to find out in more detail the vibration for the year, you can order a solar return chart package for I would like that. By including your sun sign by degree and minute and your date of birth, and that way I'll give you more than I would give you in a few minutes. Okay. Because this is your most challenging year, I would think, of your whole life because of all the retrograde planets. Best thing you got going is you got Venus trying Mars in your birthday chart, which is real good for love and money. But still, you're going to need money because the bills looks like you have some investments in mind coming up. And, of course, being spiritual will pull you out of any problem this year because of your Jupiter trine Neptune, which is wide. That's in your birthday chart, too. It's not a typical Gemini birthday. The only thing you have in Gemini is uh, Sun, Mercury, and Venus, but you're loaded with Pisces, Taurus, and Capricorn, and Scorpio, and Libra also to supplement this stuff, which is real different than Gemini. So this is a real major rebirth for you this birthday. Things will be a lot different by next year. Okay? Wonderful. Thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Let's go to Angus now, the Pisces with Cap Rising, and another fine supporter of the show. Hello. Hey, Polly, what's going on? Hey, A.D., how you doing? Pretty good. I would like a general scan concentrating on my spirituality. There you go. Wow, Pluto sitting on top of your Neptune. is. You've been getting more, more and more spiritual as the years have been going, huh? Yeah. Well, what do you want to do with your life? Do you want to teach? I'd like to. I'd like to get into astrology or maybe even psychic readings. Uh-huh. You would make a darn good astrologer, and actually you could use your excellent intuition from having Sun trine Neptune, which is very powerful. Sun in Pisces trine Neptune in Scorpio. You have Mercury in Pisces, too. That is outstanding. Then you have Jupiter in Sag, like I have. So hence your cockeyed optimism and your astrological overtone with Venus and Mars in Aquarius. So. I think you would make one of the better astrologers, as long as you remember to be positive and not make choices for people, but reveal their choices for them, you should be okay. And you are shown a power surge in career, pretty darn imminent. So continue your studies, and maybe you can start to develop some clients. Do some readings for free, and if you get good, maybe you'll start getting tipped, okay? Okay. Thanks, A.D. Okay, thanks a lot, Far. Bye, guy. Bye. Let's go to Caroline, the Aries Virgo rising. Hello. Hi, Farley. Hi. I uh, just was thrown a curve by the one woman you were talking about solar returns. I had a question about why it seems uh, for the last couple of months since my birthday you've been changing <laughs> for me. Yeah, we do have a show, an excellent show that I did. Occasionally I do it. I don't see one in the near future. It's the solar return tape. The fun thing about solar returns is you always remain the Aries, right? But you're rising in your moon and all your planets change every year. So, you know, what we do is we zero in on the exact time that change takes place. So if you get it before your birthday, 
you can actually wait for the moment and feel the vibration come upon you. It's kind of trippy. It's a little Twilight Zone-ish, but... Yeah, could it help tell me why things seem to be going for the worse instead of better now? Well, one of the reasons is because with Saturn and Uranus both retrograde in Sag, they're going opposite your Mars again, so this might remind you of some of the anxiety you went through last year. And uh, Venus also retrograde on your Mars. Your poor little Gemini planet is under major stress. You're probably running around like a chicken with its head somewhere and also maybe not giving enough time to yourself for your own personal centering and grounding and meditation. It's like too much responsibility, too much activities. You're having a Saturn return to boot on top of that. (laughs) So, you know, you need a rest. You need a time to rest the temple and to put some good nutrition into it and some safe exercise and just time to think about something other than the material world, I would think. Because your little computer mind is on overtime. You're going to burn a chip out here. Yeah, that was my problem. I was going to ask. I can't seem to get in touch with meditating and calming down and doing that. Yeah, maybe you should go to like 7,000 feet altitude, you know, for about a week, you know, where the oxygen's so thin that you feel stoned from it. It's like you start thinking about bills and stuff. It's like, well, I don't know. Those eggs have been cooking for about an hour now. (laughs) It's like another dimension up there. Getting out of the city. See, there's chakras in the city. And you're involved with the auras of millions of people here. A lot of people in Los Angeles are involved in drugs and alcohol and crime and gangs. And the smog is not healthy. And the water we drink is not healthy. Sometimes pulling yourself out of a poisonous environment is sort of like a spiritual rebirth in itself to help you reground and recenter and prepare for the next role. Because you're under a lot of attack right now. Okay. Okay? Does that help? It all makes sense. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to Margarita. Margarita, online number six, the Leo with Virgo rising. Hello? Hi, how are you? Que paso? Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not Spanish, dear. Uh, okay, <laughs> it's just, just the name, okay? Yeah. All right. What can we do for you today? Can I just get a general scan? A general, you're a Leo, but you don't sound like it. I know. You're like the Uncola, huh? <laughs> you, know, you know, the only thing you have in Leo is your sun sign and Pluto. Yeah. And that's almost more like a Scorpio than a Leo. So... Sometimes your energy might be kind of low. Do you feel that? Yes. I think you're a hardworking person because you have Mercury and Venus and Virgo. And with Mars and Cancer, that can make one big worrier. Yeah. Do you you worry about everything? Uh, About a lot of things, yes. Yeah, you should try to cool that and and stop that. You Actually, you also have Uranus in Cancer and you have Saturn in Virgo. So as a Leo, you're loaded with Cancer and Virgo. So it's like you're more Cancer Virgo than Leo. I don't know if you ever relate to that. Now, in the meantime, uh, you are shown a lot of money coming up in your life in the next couple of years, probably a major windfall. And are you married yet? No. Okay. Is that something you're interested in? No. You'd rather be single? I think so, yes. You're fed up with men and relationships. <laughs> you, uh, most you, of them, yes. Really, isn't that funny? A lot of people get to that point. Uh-huh. But uh, nonetheless, you know, you are still shown a transit where it's still possible for you to have a better relationship than you ever thought possible. So just something to be aware of. I know you have a T-square on your Mars, and it might not be like that all the time, but you might meet someone magical that could change your mind, and you can call me up and say, Farley, you were right. I will call you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now we'll go over here to Roland on line number eight. I think that's Libra Virgo rising. Is that right, Roland? Yeah, I uh, talked to you about three years ago, and I'm a psychiatrist, lost my medical license, and I'm going back to the board again. Okay. And I want to know, I have two dates, one in July and one in September. Which one would be better? Okay, let me get my head on straight here. Okay, Gemini 20 Midheaven. And what was the first date? Uh, July. I don't have the exact date, but it would be probably early July or early September. Mm-hmm. Well, July, let's see what looks like in your chart for July, first of all. Let me go to 1929. 
And uh, gosh, that was weird that they took your license away, huh? No, it wasn't. It was expected? Yeah, it was from 12 years ago, and now I'm just clearing everything up. Mm -hmm. Really clearing up. I think my chart shows that I have to face the past and really clear up with honesty. Yeah, this Mercury in Libra is your career lord, and it's been under so much stress from Neptune, now Saturn, and Uranus squaring it. Right. That has a lot to do with trying to figure out which way you're going. So we need some positive vibrations to that Mercury at 9 Libra. Now... We're not getting much of that in July, frankly, because there's not enough air transits going on. Frankly, at the end of July, well, Jupiter's going into Gemini, Doc, and, and July and August and September, Jupiter will be trying your Mercury, so you're almost guaranteed success by September. All right. Okay, actually, yeah, this is one of the best cycles in your career in four years, so if you're to have a breakthrough, it, it should be at least by September. Okay. I wish you the best of luck, and let me know if you win, okay? Yeah, I want to ask you a general question. Yeah? About when any planet goes through a sign, goes from one sign to another, isn't that sort of like the moon transiting a sign? Isn't there kind of a VC effect? That's a good question. It's like a void planet effect. The moon actually goes so fast that that's why we have that void course effect because of how quick it's moving. Whereas what happens is if a planet is void of course, then it's just called out of aspect. It's like a floater where it's not really aspecting or in aspect to any other planet in the chart or in the transit chart. And then there's like there's a certain vibration that seems to be lost or missing in the individual either in their natal pattern or in their current transit pattern. For example, you might see a lot of patients that have planets that are void course or out of aspect because there's part of their life seems to be missing or not working like it used to. Right. Okay? Do you use astrology in your practice? Uh I have been more involved with uh Metaphysics. Very good. And I I do believe in self-responsibility, and that's so important. You can always blame things on your parents or your planets and uh, realize, as most astrologers say, that no matter how bad things look, you can always pull it out of the fire if you really want to. That's right. And you have to keep at it, and you just have to know that no matter what uh, today brings, there's always tomorrow. And uh, you have to keep going. Thanks, Doc. You bet. See you later. Take care. Bye. All right, there's another edition of Astrological Metaphysical Radio, and you have a safe and sane and sober Memorial Day weekend. Monday show, find out if you're an extraterrestrial. Tune into KFOX 93.5 at 12 noon. See you in the light, have a nice day, and goodbye.